friends, welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz. The episode that you're about to hear was recorded before the global pandemic put all of us on lockdown in many places around the world. So I'm interviewing Lindsay Sajak, who is a principal for the company Ahern Murphy and Associates. And we talk a lot about what it means to be a leader as a woman. We talk a lot about balancing motherhood and work. And it's interesting listening to this episode because it feels like this was a time before, a different time. Um, But a lot of the things that we talk about do apply to what we've been seeing unfold in the global pandemic and how, um, you know, balancing work and life has kind of taken on a new meaning. Um, so I would love to hear your stories of how you are handling this transition and what things have been going on in your life. So please reach out to me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com, at womankindpodcast on Facebook and Instagram. I'd love to hear what you've been up to in this time. Welcome to Womankind. I'm your host, Kelsey Novitz, and I'm here in episode 64 with a guest that we've heard before, but not exactly. I'm here with Lindsay Zajac. Um, she is the pr- a principal with Ahern Murphy and Associates, and she was actually my guest on the live episode that I recorded at Sip Shop Support in June. Um, if you've listened to that episode, you know that the sound didn't exactly work out very well for that, so now we're actually going to hear a full story into the microphone from Lindsay. So hi, Lindsay. Hi, Kelsey. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So before we get into um, some of the specifics we were just talking about, tell me a little bit about what you do as a principal in the company that you work for. Yes. Um, So I work with a company where really our primary focus is leadership development. So we call ourselves a leadership development and um, organizational development firm, and we offer training programs, workshops, um, one-on-one coaching to a variety of organizations. We've actually worked with over about 130 clients. Um, We've been around since 1998 and we've worked in pretty much all verticals, so 32 different industries, Um, but we really go into the workplace, work with different organizations and depending on their needs, um, we'll help them lead help them enhance their leadership skills at any real any level in the organization. So we don't just work with C-suite level executives. We work with middle-level managers. We work mm-hmm. with new supervisors. Um, we even work with emerging leaders. So you might not be in a leadership role yet, but you're, you want to kind of hone those skills and you're interested in seeing what it's all about. So uh, that's kind of what we do. Interesting. So at what point will a company hire your company? Like right. what, what's happening behind the scenes when they are bringing you in? So the company was founded in Syracuse, New York, and it, that's where my father started it about 20 plus years ago. Um, a lot of his clients there are referral based, like they know him or they heard him speak or they went through a class. So we get a lot of either repeat clients wanting to take the next level of leaders mm-hmm. through our program, or we get a lot of referrals from someone that once went through it. Now they're with another organization. Um, but people... I think like if you're thinking of a triggering event, like why do they call us? Why do they reach out to us? Um, 
there's sort of twofold. I think some people, some organizations wait until there's a problem. You know, they might have a turnover problem. They might have a morale problem. Um, they might realize that their supervisors aren't quite um, at the level that they need to be to be productive and, you know, support the company goals. But then there's on the other flip side, there's there's a lot of companies that will reach out and say, hey, you know, I know that investing in my people was important and we really don't offer any formal training um, and I want to set them up for success. So before we promote them or because they're newly promoted, I want to give them the tools that they need to be effective. That's really the ideal situation, but we, we work with all different types of issues. Um, yeah. So that would be like the proactive. The, the proactive the versus okay. reactive, exactly. <laughs> both, are, both are acceptable. Yes. <laughs> um, one is a little bit more, um, you know, forward thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so when you then, okay, so a company hires you, you go into their business, yep. and is it as a team, or is it, it's, are you the only person? Yeah, so it's really um, for, let's see, from 90... 98 to 2017, it was my dad and his best friend. So that's Tim Ahern and Bart Murphy. That's where Ahern Murphy came from. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like a dynamic duo. It was just the two of them. Um, they did everything together. They were really a force to be reckoned with. Very successful, very dynamic. Um, in 2017, Bart Murphy passed away from lung cancer, um, oh. which was which was tough on everybody. Yeah, definitely. And then... Um, in 2018, I decided to leave Pepsi to help support the business because it was just my father, um, and that's a lot to do on your own. And I was I was interested in it. You know, the, when I look back at my HR career, the thing that I loved the most was the training and development. We called it learning and development. Um, that's what really like lit my heart on fire and got me jazzed up. Um, so I was like, well, if that's if I if I can do that for a living and make that my day to day versus all the other stuff that goes on with <laughs> HR, as you can imagine, it sounded appealing to me. Um, and obviously, the flexibility for working for yourself, which mm -hmm. as a mom is, is huge, that was also appealing. So I came on in 2018, um, and now it's just the two of us. And anything in Syracuse, we pretty much do together. Some of the stuff in Buffalo, I'll do solo, but it's really, for the most part, it's the two of us. So are you based in Buffalo? or We have an office here okay. in Buffalo. Um, that obviously I, I spearhead, and then my dad supports the Syracuse mm -hmm. market. Um, and is it just the two of you? Just the two of us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for now. How is that father-daughter dynamic? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we have a great working relationship. Um, I know that family businesses sometimes get a bad rap, and it's like, oh, I could never work with this family member. I've worked family with my dad member. before. <laughs> it, it, it goes well. I mean, are there some awkward circumstances? Yes, because it's that, that relationship, you know, like getting a – performance review from your dad is a little <laughs> uncomfortable that would be tough but I think if you if you make it about you know the mutual goal or objective which is to do you know make the company successful and 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 do what we do and um be better every day you know we're here to we're here to support each other we're each other's biggest fans so if I offer up some some advice or some constructive criticism or something you know I think if you take it from the spirit of we we want the same thing versus you know mm -hmm. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. but it, it's it's I like it's, that yeah it's it's fun mm -hmm. for the most part it's it's fun mm -hmm. so this is so cool I didn't know this much about it like I feel like yeah you know coming from my background which is education I just love learning about industries that I yeah I'm not familiar with mm -hmm. um so 
Talk about your transition from Pepsi, which is, like, a huge company, mm-hmm. into now working for, like, a, the tiniest yeah. business. <laughs> I know. It's just you and I your know. dad. What it, was it, that like? It, honestly, it was... So, I believe Pepsi was a Fortune 50 company, or is a Fortune 50 company. So, I spent five years there, um, grew from HR manager to senior HR manager, which just gave me more locations to support. But I was based here in Buffalo. That's what what brought me to Buffalo and that's when my husband and I fell in love with the area. Um, but it's huge. And I think what I, what I gained from Pepsi was you saw this huge dynamic organization that has a strong people culture and they were very much people strategy and business strategy should be aligned at all times. Um, you know, were they perfect? No, by, by no means was, were they perfect, but what they did really well is HR were strategic business partners. So we outsourced as much as we possibly could so that my job was to be, you know, um, have a seat at the table with the business leaders, helping them move the agenda forward, talking about people development, talking about who's getting promoted, who's moving where, how do we get this person ready, development action plans. Like, you're in all the cool, fun stuff, in my opinion, about HR, and I wasn't dealing with payroll or benefits or compliance or, um, you know, legalities. I mean... So that was cool. So I feel like I got a good foundation of what a strong people strategy, people culture can do for an organization and how how much it can help. Um, I also got to see great leaders like firsthand. Um, uh, Pepsi had a, or still does have a female CEO. Andrew Newey is no longer there. Oh, okay. Um, she left shortly after I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no thing. Um, so yeah, now they have a, a, a gentleman and his name is escaping me, but, um, for a very long time, she was at the helm of PepsiCo and, and her big, um, her big piece was to this performance with purpose was kind of the, the mission. Um, and also she, she did a good job of making sure we diversified our portfolio. So we had like healthier options mm-hmm. and it wasn't just chips and, and, mm-hmm. and, and soda. It was like waters and iced teas and and different um, Quaker and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so I think it gave me a good foundation to draw from. You know, like I don't think I would have been very good at just going right into small family business entrepreneur mode, not having anything to draw from. Right, that background. And then prior to Pepsi, I worked at a couple other companies. um, So I got a different taste of different industries, different sizes, privately held, publicly held. And you kind of try to pick and choose the best pieces of all of them and what you saw that was effective and what was not. And yeah. Okay. So now I'm <laughs> going to get into like the, the nitty gritty of like yes. leadership training. Okay. So I don't know how to ask this question without making it sound like a huge question. What are the, the main things that you impart on the people that you're yeah, teaching no, in a, these that's leadership That's a great question. Um, seminars or so we try workshops. not we try not to overcomplicate it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you Google the word leadership, you're going to come up with thousands of of things. There's so many books. You know, we live in the information world. I mean, there's so much out there, which is great, but it is it can be kind of overwhelming to decipher. Okay, well, where do I start? And like, what do I do first? And what are the foundations? So our our philosophy is really that leadership of others begins with leadership of self. So a lot of our content, if you were to go through our nine-week program, the first couple weeks are about you. It's about what makes you tick, who you are, um, how what how you view leadership. It's getting to know yourself. It's very introspective. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about 
um, you know, being vulnerable, understanding how you've learned and picked up different skills along the way. So until you do some of that internal work, which is also similar to what my leadership coaching training was all about, you work on the internal first, so then you can be more effective leading others. Um, so we, you know, we start with leadership of others as leadership of self. Um, we also believe that leadership is a verb. So we're really big on leadership. If it's done well, is something you can see. It's your actions, it's your behavior, it's how you treat people, it's what you say, it's what you do. Um, you know, we subscribe to a lot of different leadership gurus, you know, John Maxwell, Jim Collins, Kuzis and Posner, um, just to name a few, but you know, the Kuzis and Posner was really the five verbs of leadership. You model the way, um, inspire a shared vision, you challenge the status quo, you enable others and you encourage people. So we've really adopted that and we've, you know, we have some training modules around those different components. But um, I think our tagline, which is leadership is a verb, sums up a lot of what we do. And then really starting with who you are as a leader before you, you try to be effective leading others is also big. Now I'm realizing I see that when you email me. Yeah. <laughs> leadership is a verb. Yep. Yep. That's on a lot and of And it is. Yeah. So then... So you do that as part of like your business, business, but you mentioned also that you do leadership coaching. Yes. So that is something separate or is that something that you do as part of your So job? a lot of times what will happen is someone will go through our training or they'll be in the middle of our training and say, hey, you know, I would really like to follow up one-on-one -on -one with mm -hmm. some additional, you know, resources and, and some additional time and we'll, we'll do, um, you know, a training or a coaching package for that person. So it might be that they want X number of sessions, X number of months, um, but that's usually sort of a, a subset of, of the training programs. Um, some people have just worked with me on a coaching basis, um, but a lot of times the coaching either came from a training or the coaching then leads to, hey, can you come into our organization and do a couple workshops and things like that. So if there's a listener out there who's hearing this right now and they're like, that's for me, mm -hmm. can they just reach out even if the company has not? Yes. Okay. Yep, I Tell can. them how they do that. <laughs> yeah. So we are on all the socials. Um, they, the, the, you can, our website is www.ahernmurphy.com. Um, you can contact us directly through the website. You can find us at, um, on Instagram. We're at Ahern Murphy Associates. We're on LinkedIn at Ahern Murphy and Associates. Uh, we're on Facebook. They can call me directly. Um, if you want me to give my cell phone number out, I can. Um, but we can post that. Yeah, yeah, they can. They can certainly reach out to me, and we're really going to customize the coaching based on what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, um, and it can be as short or as long as as they want want it to be. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the topic of women's leadership specifically yeah. now. So. When you're coaching, and I don't know if you can say this, yeah. are there differences when it comes to coaching men versus women? Are there different approaches that you have? Are there mm -hmm. different, like, levels of acceptance? Like, how does that go? Yeah, no, that's a really, really <laughs> good question. So I have coached men and women. Um, I can do both. I enjoy both. I specifically went for a women's leadership coaching training program because I wanted to make sure that when we looked at the services that we provide to our clients, you know, um, that we had something that was a little more customized to women in particular. Um, you can use the methodology on men and women both, but a lot of it is derived towards what women 
deal with. So some examples might be things like imposter syndrome. Um, are there men out there that, that deal with it? I'm sure there are. I know a lot more women that struggle with it than men. So that's kind of like the first, when I work with a coaching client, we have a nine point pivot wheel. The first segment is knowing your worth. And that seems to be a bigger issue for women than men. And I'm not going to get into why or what my views are on that. But for whatever reason, we work on that first. We really get you into feeling good about who you are, what you're capable of, your strengths, um, getting over a lot of like negative talk, limiting beliefs, all that stuff. And then we can do some more internal work. Um, standing in the role of a leader is also something that I think women sometimes shy away from because they view leadership as strong and powerful and dominant and you got to be the loudest voice in the room and you got to use some you know fear or threat or intimidation to get what you want and none of those things are true but I think getting women to embrace who they are as a leader is another part of our coaching that we that we do that I might not need to do it with with a male um, client. Mm -hmm. I think quiet leadership is very underrated. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that it's like one's better than the other, but I think that sometimes people that don't have the loudest voice and like mm -hmm. the like most boisterous personality um, sometimes fail to see some of the things they do as leadership. And I, I'm speaking about myself <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to kind of realize that that, you can be a leader and not be, a leader. be yes. you know, like you said, the, the loudest person in the room or the, the just because you're the loudest doesn't mean that you're winning. <laughs> yes, yes. And you bring up a lot of good points. I mean, some of the things we talk about in our trainings are some of the leadership myths that people have. Like, I'm not a natural born leader. Huge myth. You know, nobody is. <laughs> um, I'm not, I don't have, I don't have the right title or I don't have a title yet. So I'm not a leader or I'm not, like, you, you talk about, you know, extroversion or, or loud or, or um, authoritative. You know, all of those things don't equate necessarily to leadership. So, um, yeah. Then I think, the, like, when you talked about the softer side of leadership, um, you know, we're seeing a lot, you're seeing a lot of that now with servant leadership. You're seeing a lot of that now with um, you don't have to be one particular way or one particular style to be effective. Um, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots to talk about yeah, on definitely. that topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you said the training you went to was specifically for, for women. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what was, was there anything different about that or anything that kind of stuck um, out to you? A lot of it too. So once we, once we get past sort of the limiting beliefs and knowing your worth and not feeling like you're an imposter, you know, you, you, we talked about things like being the only woman in the room or being the only woman in your position. Um, which I've certainly dealt with throughout my career. I know my sister has. I know some people in um, kind of the corporate world have experienced being the token woman or just, just kind of embracing that role of you might be in a room of 12 people and you're, the only, you're always the only woman. Um, so there's a little bit of dealing with that. There's a little bit of dealing with the work-life balance and the constant juggling that we do. Um, you know, I think women can be really hard on themselves and... I know from my own perspective, I felt like I was failing at work and failing as a mom. And I was used to being the straight A student that was the overachiever that, that gave everything 110%. Well, when you have two toddlers at home and you work for a Fortune 50 company, you can't be that way anymore. So it was like trying to leave the office at five, trying to, you know, still be like what I envisioned as the 
the best career woman, but also being there for my kids and trying not to miss out. So there's a lot of that juggling piece that we talk about um, with women in, in leadership roles. Um, what advice do you give to people that are finding yeah. themselves in that position? I think, you know, number one is to be easy on your, like, don't be so hard on yourself. I think we're our own worst critics. But some of the advice that I gave even before my coaching training was you, you have to start to get used to being okay, like being a B student. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be things that you're not going to get to on your to-do list at work. And there's going to be things. So being really maniacal with your prioritization and your time management and knowing if I get to these five key things today, then I was successful and not worry about, yeah, but what about these other 20 that I didn't even touch? Um, because it's just, it's not set up for you to be able to do both well. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that you're supposed to work like you don't have kids and you're supposed to be a mom or a parent like you don't work. Well, that's that's just ludicrous. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not it's not reality. So. I've seen that quote floating around the internet. Yeah. And yes. yeah, that's absolutely true. And so I'm wondering, do you, is that a conversation that you ever have with men that are in? Yes, we absolutely okay. do. And a lot of our training when we work in, in corporations is we do a, we do like you do your life wheel and you do a work wheel and you there's a bunch of segments and evaluate how you are if a hundred percent is you fill out the whole segment of the wheel are you at 25 or 50 or 75 and it gives them a nice snapshot of like wow my work wheel might be really symmetrical and I'm a solid 75 percent around but my home wheel if we look at family and we look at health and we look at finances and we look at social or spiritual or any of these other that's a mess and I think a lot of times just people seeing those things it helps them it helps them reprioritize a little bit or it helps them know what are some smart goals I can set in place so that my family segment goes from 25 to 50 percent you know is that a few meals at home during the week is that you know a date night with my wife is that once a month I do a one-on-one -on -one activity with one of my kids um so what you pay attention to and what you measure it improves. And I think the first step is kind of just being aware. But we absolutely talk about work and life. And, you know, you have glass balls and you have rubber balls. And I've rubber balls will bounce. I've been hearing that. <laughs> oh, glass I've heard that won't. maybe like three times in the past like couple oh, yeah. weeks. And before that I hadn't heard it before. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So if, if I had to let some rubber balls drop at, at Pepsi or wherever I was working... Even now, if I have to let some drop, it's not the end of the world. But, like, my kids, my marriage, my health, you know, my emotional, mental health, all of that stuff, um, those are glass balls. You know, all it takes is one thing serious for it to be, like, you might not be able to recover from that. So that's been a, it's been a bit of a learning curve for me and for my clients. Absolutely. I, I feel yeah. like I'm in the midst of that right now, but... As you know, you mentioned you have like the work wheel and the home wheel, and part of being a leader is having both of those kind of yeah. like working with each other. Yes, and what we always say too that what affects you at home will affect you at work. So if you don't focus on your home wheel for a long time and then parts are falling off, well, guess what? Now your work wheel is suffering. So we, you, you kind of, you can't ignore one over the other, and a lot of times people focus on the wheel that looks better because it's easier and they feel better about it. And the, the wheel that's all wonky is scarier to address. <laughs> right, um, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, this is back to something you said earlier. Um, so what advice do you have for that woman who's the only woman in the room? In yeah. Situations? Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it obviously a lot depends on her situation, what role she's in, what she's trying to accomplish, but not being afraid to use her voice is a big one. Um, not being afraid to speak up and it, it can be hard to do at times. And especially if when you speak up, you're kind of going against, um, or challenging what the group think might be or what other people have brought up. It can be hard to be the lone ranger that's speaking up and maybe not being a hundred percent on board with what's going on. Um, but finding and using your voice is huge. Um, gaining that, that trust and credibility with your peers or anyone in that room. It was a lot easier for me to speak up when I knew people knew that I had their best interests in mind, when I knew that they trusted me, they respected me, they valued my opinion, then it got a lot easier. So it's like anything else, you want to build those some of those relationships. But I think a lot of times women, and I did this earlier in my career, if you're the only one in the room, you end up being the note taker, you end up being the one that's sending the next calendar invite, you end up maybe being the one coordinating meals or coffee. Um, try really hard to not do that. Just because you're positioning yourself in more of a, I'm a strategic business partner, I'm here with you, I'm not, you know, taking on like an, an admin or a clerical role. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. And, and a lot of times that. the default will be that people will assume that you're going to do those things. So that's a delicate balance. Of, <laughs> well, I think Dan would be open to that, right? Mm -hmm. He's, he's handwriting is much nicer, nicer than mine. I mean, oh, finding okay. ways to, to kind of not navigate have around that role that. taken on. Yeah. And then, cause I feel if I were in that position, then my worry would be that, you know, something like that, that needed to be done just like wouldn't be done. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking notes and I do it all the time. That's kind of how I learn. But I think it's, it's positioning yourself to be a peer and a respected um, professional versus being looked at as someone the note taker serving or right right, right. okay mm -hmm. taking on like a quote and my fingers right. are making quotes right. a traditional female yes. role yes and and there's a lot of studies that show that like a at times in organizations women take on more of that kind of clerical stuff just by nature. And it's bogging us down from being able to do the more strategic, high level, what's going to move the needle, how are we going to accomplish our goals. So you're so bogged down on the committees and the planning and the this and the organizing and the note taking and the reporting that like you're never going to be able to get where you might want to be if, mm -hmm. if that becomes a huge part of your job. I, that is a very practical piece of advice. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> um. I work in an all-girls school Yeah, with a lot of women, so I don't find myself in that scenario, it's also but I'm like, imagining what I would yeah, do. Yeah, well, it's scenario. also a good skill set for anyone to hone. I mean, it's, it's really important for anyone to be able to kind of take notes or record notes in a meeting and then be able to send them out in a, you know, cohesive way. Um, so it's something that we could all, like, get better at doing, right. men, women, you know, regardless right. of your title sharing the burden or maybe yes. taking turns taking so turns. it's not one person's mm -hmm. role every time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Love it. Yeah. Um, I think we covered. So let's get into a little bit more of talking about what it's like for you with that balance of balancing, yeah. you know, being a mom and also being a working mom. 
Yes. So I, it's funny, growing up, I thought I was going to just not, I don't want to say just be a mom, but I thought I was going to be a mom and that's what I wanted to be. And I was, you know, super feminine and like loved playing dolls and Barbies and like being, I, being a mom was never a doubt in my mind. Like I'm going to be a mom and that's the most important thing. And didn't have any idea what I wanted to do career-wise or work-wise and just kind of thought, well, I'll grow up, get married and have kids. Um, and then, you know, college happened. I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do in college. Kind of fell after college. I fell into recruiting because I had a couple internships in HR and that was like, you know, they'll hire anyone to be a recruiter. It's, it's a sales job basically. <laughs> um, and then recruiting le led to HR and then led to HR management. But um, somewhere along that line in my mid-20s, when everyone else was kind of like settling down or getting engaged or they had that one guy that was like, okay, this is probably going to meet, like I was single and, or, or I was out coming out of different relationships. So I almost had to like adopt more of a career oriented mindset because I'm like, okay, me meeting my husband in college and getting married at like 25 and popping out some kids is probably not going to happen for a while. So what else can I do? Um, which sounds so crazy now. So I sort of just got into work mode, got into developing a career. What am I passionate about? What do I enjoy? Um, and then didn't end up meeting my husband until I was like 27 or 28. And we dated for a long time and got married. And it was funny. We got married two weeks after I started my job with Pepsi. So for, I would almost say that was almost like symbolic of what the rest of my life was going to be like. It was like, okay, move to Buffalo start this new job here. You don't know a soul, like you're new to the city. Two weeks later, take some time off to get married, go back to work. And then after that, it was like, my career became super important to me. Um, you know, we got pregnant about a year later with my daughter. So I've always kind of had to juggle, not always, but once, once kids came into the picture, like I mentioned before, I couldn't work a 60, 70 hour work week and just get it done and stay late or work on the weekends or come in early. So that was hard and it was, it was definitely hard to sort of take off that perfectionist hat of I want to be the best possible person at my job and like overachieve because it's not, it's not capable anymore. Like I used to tell people I had to go get my, my child by five, you know, to pick her up to relieve my sitter. I couldn't stay late. So I'd have to kind of bow out of certain meetings that I knew were going to run over. Or I'd have to quietly remind people like, Hey, can we schedule it for three thirty instead of four thirty? And um, it was it was a balancing act. It was a delicate thing. Um, there there weren't a lot of working. There were like no working moms in my facility um, in the Buffalo facility that I supported. So it was it was definitely a transition, and it was hard. Mm -hmm. And I remember going back to work with my first, and I felt like somebody like ripped my arm off. You know, oh. and I never thought oh, about no. not going back to work because right. it was like, this is my career and I'm passionate about it and I love it. And for 32 years, like I've been me and doing my stuff and accomplishing my goals. But I remember dropping her off and it was just like, even the week before I went back to work, I would start crying just thinking mm -hmm. about it. So it's a hard transition, but it does get easier. I had an awesome bo boss who didn't work in Buffalo, but she was a mom as well. So she got it. You know, I had great um, leaders that were like, get home, go home, see your baby, like get out of here. You know, like that were just, they understood it and they were supportive. They 
decorated my office all really like with balloons and flowers oh, and that's so when sweet. I came back so it was like as much as it was so hard to be away from her I was like I love like, in this the best place possible and I'm working with amazing people mm-hmm. and it was also kind of a nice break <laughs> <laughs> so now I say so the transition was difficult especially when they're little but I'm a better mom because I work I'm a better mom because I have a break from just momhood I'm a better mom because I have um, passions and hobbies and interests that are outside of my kids and um I, I I love both I wouldn't trade either one of them um how old are your kids my daughter will be five in June and my son will be three in May wow which is nuts it goes <laughs> very fast so they're very almost fast. school eight well yeah she'll start age. she'll yeah. start kindergarten in September um full day kindergarten and my son will go to preschool three days a week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And it, it, it gets easier, but it also gets harder because now they're old enough to be like, mommy, why do you always have to go to meetings? And mommy, why can't we do this? Or, you know, they, they'll, they'll pull at your leg or give you mm-hmm. a hug and don't want you to leave the door. Or when they're infants, they don't really know what's right. different. You kind of just see you later. So what do you say? Do you say? Yeah. Like, um, I try to, yes. Make it positive. I try to be really careful with no. my words, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, I have to work. I try to say, you know, mommy's going to go help people and mommy loves what she does and mom works with pop and, you know, trying to keep it like I'm choosing this. Um, my daughter's a little older now, so I can say things like, you know, we went to, we went to Disney World and that's because mommy you know, mommy works hard and mommy wants to provide these things for you guys. And, but I also try to balance, um, that they never feel second fiddle or they never feel like less of a priority. So when I can, you know, if I can pick them up a little early or I can take a day off here or there or make, I always want them to feel very special. So even though I do work full time, you know, when I'm with you guys, you're my number one priority and there's, there's no phones. I'm not in my office. You know, you're my number one priority. So. Very like focused attention. Super focused. Situation. Yeah, and and it doesn't mean that when they're in bed, I'm not back on my laptop or back mm-hmm. doing work. But I don't want them to feel like when they're with me and I'm not quote unquote working that they're like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. So, well, still got a long bad. way to go. <laughs> I mean, to me, that I so someone who yeah. doesn't have kids, that sounds amazing. Like you're handling it so well. Like. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, when the hardest part is when you're like super stressed out and you have a lot on your plate work-wise and then like one of them is deciding to just be a little jerk that day and you're like, you got nothing left yeah. in the cake. <laughs> that I can, can only be, imagine. That can be hard. Yeah. I See, I'm trying now to not work it, even though I don't have kids. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to work less now yeah, to no, plan for the future. But that's not a bad, that's not a bad way to say it because, you know, it's, it's a skill. It really is. It's mm-hmm. a skill set you have to learn. And in my 20s, all I knew how to do was work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. I couldn't leave the office like before 7. Like I just was too intense and then I would stress myself out. And then so it's like a, it takes almost like a certain maturity or life mm-hmm. skills to get to a place where you can be like, this will be here for me tomorrow. I'll, I'll carve out some time to do it mm-hmm. then. Like I don't need to kill myself today to get mm-hmm. it done. Um, and prioritizing what's important to you because mm-hmm. right now it might be your fiance or your hobbies or your interests, but pretty soon it's going to be other, hopefully other things too, that if you're used to making those a priority, that helps. Right. You know, that helps those wheels. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have trouble making work a priority, <laughs> so I'm, well, I'm on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> and I'm going to cut that out so I don't get yeah. fired. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. 
Well, yeah. we go through seasons. Where yeah, it's, definitely. It's less of a focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do really really love my job. Um, but you know, I work with teenagers. Yeah. So it's a lot of <laughs> ups and downs. Yeah, and you need time to recharge, mm-hmm. and sometimes when you do focus on other things, you're you're better. You're a better teacher right. as a result. Definitely. Because, you know, you have time to sort of think differently. Or right, exactly. That's I, f- I feel like when I have time to myself, that's when I feel, like, inspired to, like, plan yeah. something new or when I feel, like, most creative. So mm-hmm. that definitely does feed into each other. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, we're at 35. Okay, so I'm going to have you just say one more time where if my listeners are looking to hire you or your company where they can find you and then we'll yeah. get into the womanhood questions. Yeah, awesome. So I would say start with our website um, www.ahernmurphy so it's A-H-E-R-N-M-U-R-P-H-Y.com um, start there all of our contact information's there our bios, contact us all that good stuff's there mm-hmm. so links to the social media Fabulous. Um, just revamped it, so got to send people there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll be linking to that from the Womankind um, social media, too, so you'll be able to find that there. So, Lindsay, is there anything else about your story or your background that we haven't heard yet that you would like to share? Oh, gosh, I feel like I've talked a lot about myself. Um, That's what we're here to do. I know. <laughs> anything else about my background? Um I will say in the spirit of kind of, you know, working moms and being a career woman and all that stuff, um, your partner, whether that's man, woman, whoever, um, plays such an integral role, especially when you introduce children or a family into the situation. Like I could not do what I do without my husband's support. And that's, that looks like, sometimes it looks like he's doing more of the household stuff. Sometimes that looks like he's doing more pickup, drop off, you know, parenting stuff um but if it was a traditional type of environment where like I'm supposed to be at home and my husband's supposed to work and they weren't open to supporting my ventures and travel and speaking engagements and all this stuff it just wouldn't it wouldn't have worked and I feel like I would have maybe bowed out or let you know let their career take the focus and I know it's with with dual career families it's hard and there's going to be times where maybe you follow one person's career but what I have found for successful working women with careers is they have very, very supportive um, spouses or partners that that aren't afraid to to do their share um, mm-hmm. of the work. So that's that's huge. Just a little important. shout out to John right there. <laughs> hey, John. Yeah. Great man. <laughs> Never met him. Sounds great. <laughs> um, anything else? I think that's I think okay. that's that's mostly it. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to get into the womanhood question. So what does it mean to be a woman in 2020? I was thinking about this question. I think it's a great one. Um, I think what it means is you can really do and be anything that you want, which is so incredible. I mean, I always think about what I would be like if I was raised in like, or if I was a woman in the 50s or in the 1900s or the 1800s. I just feel like I would I would miserable I don't know what I would do with my life but it, it would be so hard for me like the the blessing that we have now is that you know whatever you want to pursue you can be an astronaut you can be on the front lines you can you know be a CEO you can you have almost too many choices mm-hmm. that I think sometimes it can be hard for women who do decide that they don't want to do any of that and they want to be a mom and that's that's a great choice too 
Um, so you can do it all. You can be whatever you want, but it's hard to, to do it all mm -hmm. with without priorities or without that balance or without a huge support system. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves that we want to be like super mom, super worker, super employee, like in the best shape, have a Pinterest house, like, and then we become overwhelmed and stressed and beat ourselves up. Because we're not achieving in all of those areas. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's something I hear a lot as I interview people on this show, that there's that pressure coming from every, like every right. direction. Right. And I think that was never the intention. I think when, you know, women before us, generations before us helped play, blaze those trails, they just wanted us to have the options. They just right. wanted us to have the ability to do these things. Like you want to be in the white house, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a doctor, you mm -hmm. want to do whatever we want to do. We want to set the groundwork so you can do that. But I don't think their expectation was, we want you to be like perfect at everything all right. the time. And Right, <laughs> you know, like be miserable in the process. Right. Um, yeah, I think yeah, you're right. The intention was to open up options because I'm think I'm thinking when you said like if you were born in like the 1900s or the 1950s, uh, like your a lot of your choices would have been made for you. Mm -hmm. you um, like choices. in the and I don't know exactly what year this would have been, but you know, for a time, the options for women were like a nurse, a mm -hmm. secretary. A mom, a teacher, maybe a teacher, yeah. but not not yeah. like a professor or anything right. like that. Right, exactly. Like just, exactly. You know, and then like a nun. Right, right. So <laughs> or, it, so that and then that was it. Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't know. So that a lot of choices were made for you, and now we have the ability to make a lot of choices for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you know there are things that are limiting, and I always try to be mindful of that. Like. You know, there are people that are in positions of poverty where, who are having their choices made yes, for them. Yes, yes. But, you know, yeah, right. some there's something to be said about having too many options, mm -hmm. but also the option not to do things. Right, which is also an option that we right. get to choose. And, and I don't think we talk about that enough. Yeah, that, you know, any all of those areas that you just listed, like work, kids, having like a Pinterest house, having everything mm -hmm. done perfectly, like there is the option to opt out of those, yeah. but I feel like people are shamed sometimes yes. for opting out of one or two or all of them. There's an option to opt out, and that's a choice that only that person can make. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also, I think, people are afraid to be like, you know, I have somebody help come and help clean our house, and I will gladly admit that I have somebody to do that. You know, it's once a month, they're godsends, they're two women that work together. Because... It's not that I can't clean my house. It's not that that works beneath me. It's that I'm working full time and I want to be a mom when I'm not working full time. And those are, th if I can outsource something, I'm going to outsource it. Mm -hmm. I know working moms that do Instacart, that, that outsource laundry, cleaning as much as they possibly can. Um, and there's no shame in that. And I think people are afraid to admit when they do those things because they want to, they want to present this image or the optics that I do it all and I'm great at it all and I'm happy in the process, mm -hmm. which is usually not the case. <laughs> right. You know. When do you have time to enjoy anything if you're doing yeah. everything? <laughs> yeah, I have a really good girlfriend who um, I adore. She has a very successful career, two kids, and for the longest time she was cleaning her pretty big house all by herself and finally got to a point mm -hmm. where she's like, you know what, between their sports schedules and the weekends and wanting to get outside with the dog and just wanting to be present while they're still little... She's like, screw it. I'm, I'm going to outsource that. And mm -hmm. I was so proud of her because I'm like, 
She's like literally a Martha Stewart, so I know she enjoys <laughs> that stuff, but she she outsourced it. Was it was just too much. It was too much, and yeah, her time is better spent elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not being ashamed to ask for help and to mm-hmm. leverage these things, and we don't. The other thing that's big now is we don't live in the same kind of like ecosystems or support networks that we used to have. You used to have grandparents right nearby. You used to mm-hmm. have people living with you, you know, Mm -hmm. you had multiple generations in the same Mm -hmm. home, you had aunts and uncles and all these, like most people now are spread out a little bit so that they're trying to do all of these things on their own. And then they're they're like, it's crippling. Sounds impossible to me (laughs) (laughs) without help in some way. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, <laughs> what do you want to have kids, Kelsey? <laughs> you know, I, I each time I feel like I'm ready, something comes along and pulls out that rug. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll be fine. No, it's you'll I figure it out as you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what are the hardest parts of being a woman? And we might have touched yeah. on some of these already. Um, I think on it. I think a lot of what we touched on. I think having so many choices, being able to be everything, making that choice if you want to 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 raise your children and and that's a hugely important job my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she gave up a very great career in advertising to raise us um so making that choice and being proud of it um i think not being afraid to ask for help is a hard thing for women now i think um being the only woman in the room can be exhausting after a while um having to always blaze that trail uh, my sister works in an industry where she's one of the only women and she's one of the only moms. And she said, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm always the one wearing the cape, the Superman cape. And it'd be nice if there was other people right. out there doing it with me or, you know, someone else wear the cape for a while. Um, so I think I think those are some of the hard parts. I think obviously, you know, not to get too much into to like the political and the macro things that are going on but you know you're seeing a lot of what women have dealt with in the workplace for a long time you know coming to light Mm -hmm. so thankfully I never had those kinds of situations and I've worked in a lot of male-dominated industries but it's clearly it's clearly a big issue so Mm -hmm. we still have work to do to get women to a place where they're paid fairly and consistently for what they do that they can go to work and not worry about you know crap going on um and that they can make their own choices and people can respect them and both ways too. Cause I've certainly gotten heat for being a working mom or having, choosing my career and to have kids and, mm-hmm. you know, people, I think we people just need saying to, that you shouldn't like, like you should have done one or the other. Yeah. Or, like one or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, doesn't your husband do okay? And like, why do you need to work? And mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is sometimes I think is just generational or it's their, mm-hmm. it's their perspective. It's what they grew up with. And, you know, they, some people think it's selfish to work when you should be home with your kids and that's the most important mm-hmm. job. And like I said before, I'm, I'm a better mom because I work. Mm-hmm. If I stayed home all day with my kids, it would not be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think we live in a vastly different, like Time. economic world oh, yeah. where, oh, yeah. I think it's it's pretty rare to have a single income home with two parents. Like yeah. I don't think we see that. It is as it's often. getting much more rare. Right. I think unless one of the spouses has you know six figure income where they're traveling a ton mm-hmm. and their their demands are so intense that 
somebody's got to be that kind of mm-hmm. steady rock at home, um, you're seeing that less and less. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. So what are your favorite parts of being a woman? I, I mean, I don't know anything else. <laughs> so I, I honestly love, um, I, I'm now, now having, you know, two kids of my own. I love that we can bring like life into the world. I think that's super duper cool aspect of, of what we are. Um, I like that we've kind of been a little bit of the underdog for a long time and kind of coming up out of that, that storyline and raising through some of those, those trials. And if you look back at history and some of the amazing things that women have done, you know, going all the way back to like Joan of Arc and Harriet Tubman Mm -hmm. and all these people, we have such a rich history of strong females. Uh, we don't always hear about it in the history books. Um, but that's kind of a cool badge to wear, you know, Mm -hmm. um, love being a mom. I love having options and choices and being able to choose. Um, yeah. Those are good things. Those are good things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what issue that affects women are you most passionate about? Um, there's a lot I would say, but I, I think for me, the issues are really, um, how women are treated in, in the workplace is a big one. Um, and it's not just, you know, the sexual harassment and the pay mm-hmm. stuff. I think it's it's making sure that we're doing everything we can so that women can be successful at mm-hmm. work. Because it's so hard to juggle both, because you feel sometimes like a failure, um, we need to make sure that we're supporting women, encouraging them, um, letting them know it's okay if they have to be home with a sick kid. I mean, I think as organizations and as, as systems, we need to do a better job of um, supporting that. So... Mm-hmm blazing trails for people, bringing people up along with us, you know, being that support system for other women, um, helping them along the way mm-hmm. is huge. Some of the coaching training that I learned about was ending like the zero sum game. And for a long time, women were very competitive with each other. And if Kelsey gets promoted, it means less opportunities for me. So there was almost this cutthroat mm-hmm. approach to the workplace. Um, and that doesn't serve anyone and it definitely doesn't serve future generations of women coming up. So if we want more women in leadership, we should look at it as if Kelsey gets promoted, that's a win for all of us and that there's more to go around and it's not, you know, only, only one position available. So if Kelsey gets it, then I hate her and, you know. Now, do you think that, cause I hear, I've talked a lot with, or Gen X women, um, are talking about a particular time period where, you know, like most of who I've talked to on the show, they were the only woman yes. in the workplace. And mm-hmm. it feels like maybe they're, I'm sure they were wonderful at their position, but it was also maybe a position that met a quota. And so it kind of was the only position. Yeah. And I feel like that mm-hmm. pitted women against mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like the patriarchy basically yeah. pitted women against each other. And then that's where we're kind of like experiencing like the, the backpedal and like right. the fallout from that. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I think there were generations in the seventies and mm-hmm. the eighties when you were the only woman in mm-hmm. that law office or you were the only female in that boardroom. And like, it was a little bit more cutthroat because mm-hmm. there's only one of you and you were vying for that position mm-hmm. and you had to beat someone else maybe to mm-hmm. get it. Um, and now there can be more than one. Now there, there can, can be. be more than one. <laughs> right. The other piece too is that a lot of women had to um, adopt 
like almost male like tendency. Like they had right. to become a guy yes. to survive in that in that environment. And I found myself doing it sometimes mm-hmm. too. Like I was one of the boys. I could hang with them. I could work mm-hmm. hard. I could play hard. Like I was joking around with them. Like intentionally or not, I just adapted to my environment mm-hmm. and I became one of them, which isn't inherently bad. But I also wasn't doing my own like gender any. I wasn't really helping that move right. forward because I was just like becoming like, one of them yeah. instead of being like I wouldn't talk about my kids that much at mm-hmm. work I wouldn't bring up any mommy stuff I wouldn't want to appear like weak or vulnerable around mm-hmm. them it was like no I'm just gonna mm-hmm. become one of them so yeah I, I had a boss who grew up kind of in the 80s being the token woman and she was not fun to work for mm-hmm. because I think she had those expectations she had those of you expectations. Yes. yeah so now I and I, this is definitely not true of every industry, but I think in many industries, it's becoming more acceptable for women to be themselves and show yes. some of those other sides and have yep. other women there with them that are kind of like helping with that. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a great, um, I'd like to see that we're moving more in that direction mm-hmm. and being more of your authentic self at work. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you could just come to work and like unleash on people right. or like cry every day right. or you know only talk about personal stuff um but that's but, inappropriate for anybody but that's, that's not just for yeah 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 there has to be some boundaries mm-hmm. um so who are women that you admire the women you most admire yeah the women I most admire I mean it's funny when whenever we do stuff stuff like this in our workshops and we talk about like all-time greatest leaders we're always trying to pull people to, to bring women up there, like to bring up women's mm-hmm. names. Cause you get the MLK juniors and you get mm-hmm. the FDRs and you get Abraham Lincoln. And you know, some people will say Obama and like you get all these, but we're like, well, Hey, what about the women? So I could talk about women that have, are no longer here. I could talk about, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt and Amelia Earhart and Joan of Arc and mother Teresa and stuff like that. But if I want to stay more current, I think, we mentioned earlier, you know, people like Malala who've done an entire movement. She was only 11 when she started her blog mm-hmm. and then, you know, continuing to go against the grain after being shot in the face. I mean, that is like when we say you don't need a title to be a leader, we talk about her. Right. She's a young girl. Who hasn't even graduated from college yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when she got her Nobel Peace Prize was only 17. Right. So she's inspiring. Um there's a there's a young woman I guess now young girl Greta Greta Thunberg Greta, yep. Greta Thunberg has, mm-hmm. she has come those names have come up more and more on our list which is exciting to hear people um, I have a huge Rachel Hollis mm-hmm. fan um, what she's her her podcast is the number one business podcast right mm-hmm. now and she started it because there was all the podcasts were hosted by men and they were interviewing mm-hmm. men and she's like well I'm an entrepreneur and I'm in business and I'm making you know I'm have a multi million dollar company like I want to hear from everybody and I want to hear from women entrepreneurs and men and um so she just decided to start her own and now it's, there it is there it is yeah <laughs> so she's inspiring you know no college degree mom of four started out as like a food blogger has come a long long way um those are just a couple that come to the top of my mm-hmm. mind um I'm sure there's more that I'll think about after, <laughs> yeah. after I talk that's to usually you. how that goes yeah <laughs> But I, I wish that, I wish there were more. I right. definitely wish that there were more. Same. Um, I do love that, too, that you mentioned are younger, because I think that, 
and I got this actually from um, Gina Bloom a few episodes ago. Um, she talked about how one of her heroes is um, the transgender actor named Patty Harrison. Okay. And she and something that she said that struck me was when Gina said like, "Oh, like Patty's younger than me, but she's still one of my heroes." Mm-hmm. And I was and I just like yeah, loved that because I cool. think that sometimes looking to the younger generation is really important. And yeah. so that's why I love that they those two have stuck out as like Malala and Greta Thunberg have stuck out as, you know, people that people are looking up to all over the world, oh, even yeah. though they're only, you know, 16 and 22. <laughs> Definitely. And I was going to, the other one that came to mind as you were talking is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I watched <laughs> on the basis of sex. Um, I haven't watched that yet. That, that's so one of, good. I'm going to watch that this month as one of my so good. movies. Just what she went through, like, being in law school and mm-hmm. trying to, she interviewed at so many firms and they turned her down and it was just, yeah, overcame mm-hmm. a lot. She was around in the time before people were looking for a token woman. Yes, <laughs> like, she was, yeah. exactly. And she would hear things like, well, we can't hire you because our wives will be jealous. Oh my because, you know, she was a pretty good looking woman mm-hmm. and, you know, they don't want us working with someone like you all day and just crazy stuff. So, <laughs> but great movie. I highly yes. recommend it. And I, I've, I watched RBG, the documentary, yes. recent, or semi-recently, but that's another good okay. one to see, too. So, Lindsay, we've reached the end of our episode, so just, again, tell my listeners one more time where they can find you. They can find me on our website, um, www.ahernmurphy.com. They can find us on all the social platforms, and um, looking forward to hearing from people. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for being here. This was a great conversation. Um, If you're looking for Womankind, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Womankind Podcasts. Email me at womankindpodcasts at gmail.com or on my website, www.womankindpodcasts.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.